morning, uh, we are teaching, we are focusing on one of Jesus' only teachings that uh, religious people routinely go, well, yeah, but he didn't really mean it. I uh, spent one summer at a uh, camp in Florida that had a different leadership come in every week. If you ever want to be absolutely exhausted, be a camp counselor for seven weeks. That will kill you. Uh, I actually died. True story. Uh, But uh, I didn't, really. (laughs) Just in case you didn't know. Uh, (laughs) But uh, one of the, I'll never forget, one of the, the folks who came in, it was from a place that was a little bit more uh, conservative Church of Christ than I am. And uh, I remember a discussion I had with this guy who was working so hard to convince me that if you love people, of course you judge them. I mean, after all, people are going to hell, and you have to tell them they're going to hell. And the only way you can do that is if you know who's going to hell and who's not. And so you have to judge Everybody. And the more loving you are, the more you're going to judge. That's what you're supposed to do. Good Christians judge. And in fact, he had identified the primary problem in the church today is that people are not judgmental enough. I kid you not. I had this conversation. You know, he's like, yeah, well, I routinely tell people they're going to hell. And I'm like, really? How many of them are you winning? Because oddly enough, people, when they hear, they're, you're going to hell. How many times when you've had an experience with somebody who has that kind of approach to you, have you gone, really? Tell me more. I, I want to hear more about this God who loves me enough to set me on fire in a fire that will never go out. Please tell me more about this. I want to learn. No, you don't do that. If only someone somewhere would tell us not to do this stuff. I want to take you from there to a place far away and and far in the distant past, to a courtyard of an ancient Gentile home. There are probably somewhere between 60 and 100 people sitting there, and the most unlikely person is the one sitting there talking, because he doesn't want to be there. And in fact, if God had not worked really hard to get him into that house, he wouldn't have been there. He knows he's not supposed to do this. I mean, it's very clear. Jews aren't supposed to sit down with Gentiles, and they're not supposed to eat with them. But he's had this weird vision experience, and then this dude showed up just like the visionary Jesus told him he would, and he felt like he had to go, so he obeyed. He did the right thing. Oh, yeah, he did it. And then once he gets there, he's like, okay, tell me why I've come. And and he tells him the story. Well, I saw an angel, and the angel said to go get you, so we're all here. You're supposed to know what comes next. And finally, Peter realizes, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm supposed to announce the message I've got. So he starts telling the message. Before that's over, the Holy Spirit will fall on them and finally convict racist Peter that his racism and his judgmental heart is wrong. But part of his message is that he announces that there is one person who has been appointed as judge of the living and the dead. One. 
one man. His qualifications are, you know, not real extensive. He's only God. And risen from the dead. So when you pull off those two things, you can do it, okay? Because those are his qualifications. He's fairly qualified to be the judge of the living and the dead. And God has appointed him. And folks, there is room on the judgment throne of Christ for exactly one person. And when we sit down on it, we are in an inappropriate place. We have walked into the throne room of the king and taken our perch on his chair. Would you be so bold as to do that with a human king? If at the end of time, he finds you there, he will depose you. If only someone would tell us ahead of time not to do it. Why we have to go to the mountain. And we go again and again to the mountain to hear the teachings of the Christ. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is engaged in argument with the Pharisees. They are the most religious people of his day. They are the guys in the white hats. They are the good guys in Judaism. We hear the word Pharisee and we immediately think judgmental jerk. And that's because in our Gospels, that's who they are. But in the ancient writings of Judaism, that is not who they are. They are the people who are the most serious about their faith. They are the most religious of all religious Jews. They are the most committed to God. And they have this program. Keep the law. Oh, keep the law, O oh Israel. You realize that most of the Jews of Judaism in the first century were not Pharisees. We're talking about a group of about 5,000, maybe 10,000 across the whole empire of all the millions of Jews in the Roman Empire. People who actually aligned themselves with Phariseeism. Why? Because Phariseeism was really hard. Academically, it was hard. You had to get to know the Scripture like nobody's business. You really had to know it. Why? Because you had to be able to lead other people into it. And you had to be able to lead them into it perfectly. Because God cares about getting it right. In fact, there's nothing God cares about more than getting it right. Is there? And so the Jews would lead people towards religious perfection. And they would lead people, these Pharisees, they would lead people towards getting it all right and perfect and good. Now, then you encounter the Lord. And His whole perspective seems to be just a little bit different. A Pharisee knows you don't ever hang out with, with dangerous, filthy sinners. Why not? Because their sin will rub off on you. You don't spend time with them. They're dangerous. They're filthy. They're getting it wrong. And yet... The Lord somehow goes and eats with them all the time. Is why He's unacceptable as Lord to so many of the Pharisees. And, and the, the Lord seems to, to care about something other than getting it right. At least it's the primary thing. Now, it's not getting it wrong, obviously. I mean, the Lord is not about, hey, Make sure that you're wrong as often as you can. No, obviously, being as well-versed in knowledge of the Lord is very important. But it seems to... The Lord seems to value love 
above just about everything else, doesn't he? The Pharisee program was, when we get it right, then God will come. When most of Israel, or better yet, all of Israel finally keeps the covenant the way we're supposed to, and when we finally get it right, then the Lord will come, the day of the Lord will fall upon us. So the big job of the Pharisee was to go out to the heathen, backslidden Jew. The people who aren't getting it right, who aren't right about everything. And their big job, their big task, their reason for existing was to judge them and teach them. Now, obviously, that doesn't make for a very agreeable human being. When you encounter the person who is a religious person, you've, you've run into this, haven't you? How do you feel about that when you come into touch with that? Is it a good experience for you? You think God, when, when God runs into a person like that and He watches them treat somebody else who, who has problems and needs something worked out in their life, you know, could really use the help of God. When it's that person who's God's representative, do you think he sits there going, good deal, set them straight. Yeah, tell them. Nope. I'm fairly convinced that God's response to that is, oh, please don't use my name. That's not me. How do I know that? Because the Lord teaches. The Lord Himself said, judge not that you be not judged. Now, I will tell you that in our culture, there is a bad read of that going on right now, isn't there? You don't have to think about that very hard to run into. And the way, the, our culture loves to quote that at Christians. Judge not. Who are you to judge me? You can't judge me. What they mean by it when they're reading it is abandon all uh, standards. Abandon all truth. Just throw it away. You know, you're not allowed to say that any way of life is wrong. Don't ever say that there is a way toward human flourishing because the way toward human flourishing is whatever I want it to be. Whatever any individual wants it to be. Morality is entirely relative. Don't you dare judge me. Well, I'm fairly certain that the Lord doesn't share that opinion with our culture. There are ways of life that lead to a ruined life. And the reason that Jesus is critical of those is not because He hates people, it's because He loves them, and He doesn't want them caught up in a, in a false happiness that will delude and break and distort who they are and make them less what they're meant to be. So that is not what the Lord means. In fact, toward the end of His teaching about being judgmental, He throws in this wonderful thing about do not cast your pearls before swine, Right? Don't give, to sac- don't give to dogs what is sacred or cast your pearls before swine. Because otherwise, they may trample them underfoot and turning may devour you. Right? Okay, well, what are we supposed to make of that? You were just saying not to judge. Now you're calling people dogs. Or at least I assume he's calling people dogs. I don't think, do you, that he's actually literally talking about pearls and pigs. I'm fairly certain he's talking about stuff that's really valuable to you, really important to you, and people... The Lord, calling them pigs. What's that about? Notice what he's talking about, though. Is he talking about the other person there? Don't give to the dogs what is sacred. In in the ancient uh, Jewish world, a dog is a Roman. 
that that's, it's the oppressor. That's language for the oppressor. And so Jesus here picks up that, that language of, of the Judaism he's a part of to say, look, the world around you really is a mess. It really is. Its value system is all thrown off. And if you decide, because you don't want to be judgmental, that you're going to throw in with them, they will destroy you. They will devour you. And Jesus knows good and well that our tendency is to go, whoa, there's a ditch there. I better avoid that. I don't want to fall into that ditch. And whoa. Thank you. <laughs> that's our tendency, right? So we get rid of judging by getting rid of standards, and that's insanity. Okay? Jesus is not calling us to that. Scared you, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, no, He's not calling us to walk backwards into the other ditch. He's saying, look, yeah, the way of God is the way of God. Live in the way of God. But incidentally, it does not involve this. Judge not. Just don't do that. Being a judge per- judgmental person is a totally irrational behavior. It isn't reason-based. The exercise that we engage in once we've decided to do it might be reason-based. I've run into a lot of people who will say things like, oh, it's not me judging them. It's the Word of God. As if James never wrote about that. You know, Don't use the Word of God to judge people because then you're judging the Word as if it can't do its job. No, uh-uh. Well, but, no, I'm not judging. The Word of God is judging them. I'm just pronouncing it and executing it and telling them they're going to hell. No. It's not reasonable. And why would I say that it's not reasonable? It's, it's emotion-driven behavior. Did you know that? Being a judgmental person is driven by our fear. That's, that's where it comes from. Because if you're reasonable, then you engage in things like this. You know, that person out there, they don't know what's going on in me. They have no idea what's happening inside of my heart. That I've met them now, right now, but they don't know what happened just before I got here. They also don't know what happened in the 46 years before I got here. And so if they look at my behavior, the exact same behavior could come from stubborn rebellious stubborn rebelliousness or it could come from weakness. One is absolutely unforgivable and the other one is entirely forgivable. Actually, both are forgivable. But one is way more destructive than the other, right? But you can't see that. No one can see the heart of another person. No one, right? Oh wait, there is one who can. It's kind of why He was appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. Because unlike you and I, He knows every second, every moment of your life, every failing, every, every weakness, every abuse, every moment you were ever hurt or shamed, every problem you have ever faced, every disadvantage you've got, everything that you can't overcome, He knows it all. So He's qualified to be able to say, I can't hold that against them. He's also qualified to be able to say, yes, they did respond to me as I wanted them to. They're like, well, it was insufficient. How do you know? Do you know the relationship between the Lord and that person? You absolutely do not. Because while you may know their behavior, and while you may be able to look at the Scripture and say, well, I don't think that measures up, 
you're not the one who gets to make the call. It's totally irrational. And it is driven by fear. What do I mean by that? Well, we want to be safe. This is the reason we become judges is our primary concern is with our own souls and getting our own skinny rear ends through the gates into heaven. I want to know I'm safe. Well, how can I know I'm safe? Churchianity. You know what churchianity is? It's having the right set of doctrines and the right set of beliefs and having it all perfect and all laid out so that I know that I'm safe. And then since I know I'm safe, I know I'm going to heaven. And then anybody who doesn't have everything exactly the way I've got it, well, I better set them straight. Our judgment, the Pharisees' judgmental nature was flowing out of a fear that God wouldn't reward us until we got it right. Our tendency to judge others flows from a fear that I want to make sure I'm safe and I'm okay. There's something better than that. It's called trust. There is a judge in the eternal courtroom. He is entirely trustworthy. He's never made a mistake. He's never gotten it wrong and I don't have to worry about it. I absolutely can leave to Him. So if my role in the courtroom is not judge, what is my role? It is witness. That's my role. That's my job. To give testimony about truth. Now, someone will say, well, if you... uh, if you don't judge people, then you just accept everything and every doctrine. And then what? There's no problematic doctrines out there? Of course there are problematic doctrines out there. And a witness's job is to tell the truth. This is what I know. Right? So, I, I'm there and I say, well, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a for instance. Once saved, always saved. Churches all over this town preaching that. Right? I don't buy that because of the book of Hebrews. It's got two passages, chapter 6 and chapter 10, that talk about saved persons, or at least it sure sounds like saved persons to me, who then are lost persons. Okay, And once saved, always saved is such a dramatically destructive doctrine when you believe it. you know, Because then what difference does my moral life make? What difference does my discipleship make? Make. I, I can do whatever I want to. You know, because when I was 10, I had a warm feeling in my heart and I believed the right doctrines. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. Therefore, I'll do whatever I want. Thank you very much. And I may destroy a hundred lives around me because I've bought into this idea that I can't possibly lost and suddenly I stopped working on it. Okay? I think that's heresy. I think that is destructive. Well, there are people who believe that. Are they going to hell? Not my call. Judge not. My task is to say, I don't believe that. And here's why. And then leave into the hands of Jesus Christ, who is wise enough to know whether I was very convincing. Who is wise enough to know how to sort all that out. I just leave it in the Lord's hands. That Now, what if... So it's irrational. Why teach against it? It is so destructive to our Christian lives. You can get so much else 
in the Sermon on the Mount right. You get this wrong, you tear yourself up. You become monstrous because of it. Because you are denying the sovereignty of God and you are rejecting the ways of love, which is what the whole thing is leading us to. His goal, the pinnacle of His ethic is love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And when we become judges, how love do they experience from us? How much love? That's not what we're made to be. Now, again, this doesn't mean just throw away all the standards. If I do that, I'm, I'm putting myself in danger of the world around me. It'll destroy me. But if I want to be helpful for anybody, I have got to put this thing down. First of all, if I want to save my own soul, if I want to see myself in a good place, I've got to put down this behavior of judging and just take up love. Because the first thing he says is, judge not that you be not judged. Folks, who is it that's saying that? The one appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. He's the one saying that. So I'm putting myself into a behavior of disobedience to the judge. Have you ever seen anybody live in contempt of court? You know, they go into the courtroom and they just treat the judge with absolute contempt. Maybe they swear at him. How does that go? You want to spend the night in jail, there's your pathway. Well, this is the judge of the living and the dead. Do you really want to treat him with contempt? He said not to do this. Maybe we should not do this. Judge not because it's a warning. I will judge. Not only that, the world around us judges us too. If you become a judgmental person, they're like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that faith. Look well, what monsters it makes of them. And they're judging us. You know? And then he says, with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. The measure you give will be the measure you get. Realize again, this is the judge of the living and the dead saying that. So he's saying, hey, you set the bar. I'll, I'll go with it. You want doctrinal perfection as your bar? you got to get everything right. You're judging that person because of their doctrinal imperfection. Well, you better have everything right, buddy. And I mean everything, because if that's your baseline, if someone's going to go to hell because of some minor misunderstanding of the Scriptures, guess what? Don't sleep anymore. Your job is now to read the Bible for the rest of your days. Because you've got to get it perfect. Because the Lord said, wherever you set it, I'm setting it. That's fine if that's what you want to do. Isn't it better not to do this? So for your, the sake of your own soul, don't judge. It's dangerous. But also, do you want to be helpful to somebody else? You want to help your brother? You want to help your friend come to know the Gospel? I'm telling you, this will get in your way. Period. Absolutely. So his next thing is this wonderful little funny comedy bit about a log sticking out of someone's eye. Why do you say to your brother... Here, let me, let me help you get this speck out of your eye. Well, there's a log in your own eye. You, you hypocrite. First, remove the log from your eye, and then you will see clearly to help your brother remove the speck from his eye. You know, I, I think I've told this story before. When I was in uh, college, I was a theater major. I was, I was cutting a pipe on a bandsaw. And because I was in college, I was invulnerable. Um, and so, you know, because of my invulnerability, I didn't need safety glasses. So I was cutting that piece of metal pipe on that bandsaw. 
and a splinter flew off of that thing into my eye. And that thing was like white hot when it went in there. And so now it's stuck in my eye, and it's sticking out. So when my eyelid closes, it's scraping on the splinter, you know. It was dreamy. I mean, really everything I thought it could be. And, uh, I mean, highly recommended. So they took me immediately to an ophthalmologist who, you know, put that numbing agent into my eye, and I was like, yeah, really, all of my kingdom is now yours, (laughs) you know, whatever you want. And then he grabbed a pair of tweezers, and first he grabbed this weird contraption with a spring that opens, and he put that thing in my eyelid so that my eye is held open like clockwork orange, right? And then he grabs a pair of tweezers, and he's coming at my eye. You know what I use my eye for? Looking at things, right? And so now I've got this pair of tweezers coming down at my eye, to my eye, I didn't know just how strong these things are. I'm pretty sure I could pick up a truck with my eyelid, you know, because it was trying so hard to close. And he got it out. It was, you know, no problem for him. Uh, I, <laughs> I didn't enjoy it much, you know. But I'll tell you what, if that man had had the stump of a tree sticking out of his face when he's trying to do that particular thing, how close to me is he getting? I mean, no way, man. In fact, not only did he have nothing obstructing his vision, but he had put on these glasses with these little circles. I mean, he really did look like Dr. Strangelove as he's coming at my eye. Why? So he could see clearly. That log that Jesus is talking about is our lack of love as we judge because it is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly hard to both love somebody and judge somebody at the same time. Jesus can do it. Most of the rest of us are not quite as spiritually advanced as Jesus. This is super advanced spirituality. And generally speaking, when we love somebody, when we judge somebody, we begin to despise them. And when we love somebody, we begin to forgive them. And in fact, we don't get either one of them right. You know, if you love somebody, if it's your kid and they commit murder, you don't want to punish, even though maybe they ought to be. So you don't judge very well when love is involved. And you don't love very well when judging is involved. Because if they're a fairly decent person that God wants, and you're judging them, how are you drawn near? You say, just stop it. Stop it. Look, if you want to have a discussion with somebody about once saved, always saved, the importance of love has got to be primary. Or they're never going to talk to you about it. You are an irrelevant authority. And you could be right and you become somebody who denies the truth by the way you treat people. If you want to be able to see clearly, this behavior has got to stop. So what do I replace it with? Well, think about the people that you know who actually obey this. Have you ever met people who obey this, who get it right? They really get it right. You'll note that for one thing, they are still able to discuss theology with you at a very deep level. Because not judging doesn't mean not believing truth. Okay? It doesn't mean that. It means obeying Jesus. Which means you have to believe truth. You're not going to be able to obey Jesus unless you believe truth. So, it doesn't mean that... What my encounters with the people who are actually doing this is that they genuinely seek my best interests. They care about me in a way that people who judge me don't. 
People who judge me want to win a fight. They want to prove that they're right about something. People who don't judge me want to win me. They love me. And it seems to me that of all the things that Jesus talked about, the big thing that he most cared about is that his people would be well equipped to win fights. No. It was that they would be fishers of men. It would be that they would love well. By this will all men know that you are my disciples when you are uptight jerks who want to be right about everything. No. You love. You love. You love. How do I do this? I trust Jesus to get it right, period. And then I know that it is not my job to go around judging the souls of other people. That's not my task. And even when they fail me and they get it wrong, I don't have to make it right. My job is to love Jesus and talk about Him. And to point people to Him, to the wondrous goodness of God. And I just, I leave in Jesus' hands all of the responsibility of the world. Because after all, God seems to trust Him. He appointed Him as judge of the living and the dead. You get this right. You are a recognizably beautiful Christian. Even the world encounters this and enjoys it. Because the real righteousness of God grows up in you, and true righteousness is beautiful. They may not like your beliefs about what is real and what is true. They, they may not care for that. Your, your ethics, your sexuality, all that, they may get real mad at it. But, it. but who you are becomes obviously filled with love and grace and peace because judgment is in the way of all of those things. When we leave judging to the judge, Judge beautifies us. How are you doing with this? I was, I was raised and trained really well to be a judge. Really was. But it turns out I'm not good at it. I can trust Him. How are you doing? If you look into your heart today and you're like, man, I'm a mess. I need help. This sermon made me really mad. Well, you want to pray. You know, and if I got it all wrong, hey man, pray for me. But if, if you need to work on this, let us know because it's hard to escape. It's really hard. If you need the prayers of the saints, let us know. It may be that you came here today and you have a problem sitting on your heart, a, a, a grief, a pain, a, a trouble, and it has nothing to do with what I've talked about. That's fine. We want to pray about that too. We really do. We're a praying church. Let us know. And if you're not a Christian, there's no better way of life than following this man. Isn't he great? He's such a great guy. Following and obeying Jesus makes for the best way of life that there is. So if you're not doing it yet, there's room right here. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing. Just as I am without one